Hey there, thanks for coming by. It's Cambrio from cambriomusic.com. And today I'm really excited to have an interview with Mike Indovina. He's a musician, music producer, and author of a music book. So let's get right into it. Yeah, no, definitely. Thanks for coming by. You definitely didn't have to, but it's good to have you here. Oh, good, man. Yeah, so um, that Hang Time album, you're finishing that up, you said? What's that, sorry? Hang Time. That was an album you were doing? Yeah, that's an album that we finished. Um, we finished it not too long ago, and they're, they're slowly releasing some of the singles right now. Uh, it seems to be going really well for them. They're getting quite a lot of uh, reception from it. It's been great. And do usually, like, uh, bands or artists come from, like, word of mouth? Or how do you pick, uh, pick up uh, this work? Some of it is definitely from word of mouth. Um, I, yeah, definitely from like previous clients have definitely recommended me. Um, I also get a lot of clients online as well. Okay. Just a lot of like mastering, online mastering and mixing work. Um, and a lot of that comes from just organic Google search and the fact that I also run uh, a website teaching music production stuff. So some people will send me work just as a result of that. They're familiar with my name there. Uh, definitely. Uh, the, the book is pretty interesting too. Yeah. You checked it out. Yeah. Yeah. How long did that take to put together? The book was about a year long project. Um, I kind of started it and then lost interest in writing it halfway through or got frustrated with how long it was taking. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, got back into it and yeah, I would say, I, I would say that it took about a year to get done. But I'm glad that I did. It's it's definitely been uh, a really positive thing to to get off my, to get off my list of things that I want to do. And um, but it's it's been pretty fun to document my process as well and put it in the book. And and the reception of the book has been really great too. And the um, the podcast you're talking to other producers. Yeah. So the the podcast kind of started as a result of um, a couple of different things. The first thing was that I I have a I have a pretty big mailing list and a lot of people ask me a lot of the same questions. So, you know, I've done my best to answer a lot of those questions from my own perspective, mm. but I think for recording engineers, it's really important to learn from uh, many different engineers and from, from those teachings that you learn from all those other people, I think it's a great thing to be able to take the bits and pieces that resonate with you the most. And I think that that's how people actually create their own unique style. It's just a, as a result of taking these bits and pieces and different teachings from every, every you know, a whole bunch of different people. Um, I think it really helps with, with just creating your own unique thing. And uh, so the podcast was kind of a way for me to connect with other engineers, talk to them about, you know, their approaches to things and get a lot of the questions that I've already answered for my students answered by other engineers um so they can learn from that and uh it's just a cool way to also just connect with lots of different other people like people in the industry yeah how would you kind of characterize your style because some people kind of sit back a bit and just let the band kind of do their thing others are more hands-on yeah there's lots of differing opinions on that right I, i would say that my personal approach is that i tend to let the band do their own thing um my I see my role as a producer as someone who's there to help the band like make their, get their vision to, to come to life and right. help make the song sound the absolute best it can. So 
my role as a producer is to listen as a fan. Like yeah. I want to hear oh, it's catchy and good. And like, if there's, if there's things that I hear structurally that maybe need to be adjusted uh, for the sake of making the song better, like we'll just certainly try it. Um, so like, yeah, that's kind of my role is like a, approach it as a fan and then approach it from the technical side as well in terms of how to get the best sounds. Um, now I know some producers are like, they're very much like it's my way or the highway and yeah. I'm not, for me, I'm going to have good ideas. I'm going to have bad ideas and same with the artists too. Right. So it's like, let's just throw all these ideas at it. Let's see what sounds best and whatever works and sounds best and moves us and gives us the chills and excites us. That's definitely going to be the thing we keep. Yeah. Do you have any favorite albums that kind of influence your style or producer styles? One, well, I think my favorite producer of all time is Jerry Finn. Okay. And if you're familiar with him at all a little uh, bit yeah Jerry did like he did like green day rancid like he he did like a lot of big punk rock records that i love and that like i think are like kind of like the quintessential punk rock records um the thing about him is that every record of his sounds different and it sounds like the band so i think that's one of the reasons why i really love him is that the quality of the sound is there it's like always amazing the songs are always amazing, but like I could tell that he definitely let the bands like have their sound and their unique qualities to them. Um, he just, he's there more as like a, let's get the quality of the production down, like the, the quality of the engineering down um, and let's just make a wicked record. And I, I love that approach. And uh, so, yeah, I pretty much like everything he's worked on. I, I, I love Cool. I know some people bring up as kind of a classic, uh, a Rick Rubin type who some people say doesn't really do much at all. <laughs> yeah, th- that's definitely something that I've, I've heard. I-, I-, I don't approach it that way at all. Yeah. But uh, someone like a, what's his name, Steve Albini, I hear is like a, still kind of a big name. Yep. Yeah, Steve Albini, he did like the Nirvana records and uh, or at least one of them. Uh, that blew up and he, he had his own unique sound too right like he's very old school analog tape like all all analog anyway um and uh yeah i think that that's part of what he what he does that makes it sound cool something different i think on your website i was looking through it, it said something about working with kiss how'd that come about so the kiss thing came about uh so i toured with them uh about 10 years ago and uh that just came about through like some networking like a years ago i was doing some live sound um actually the way it started i'll backtrack so the way it started was in college i met a friend who ended up getting a job at a management company and then he randomly called me out of the blue one day saying hey like we got this band they're signed to sony like do you want to go on tour and do live sound and like tour management and i had never done that before um i like worked in studios and he knew he knew that i was good in the studio so that's why he like thought of me um so i was like yeah sure like i'll do it like i've never really done live sound and he's like well the band already has their own engineer that they typically use but he can only do two weeks of the three-month tour so like why don't you go on the road with him for like the first two weeks he'll show you the ropes and then he'll leave the tour and you just carry on and whatever um so so that's what happened like i literally like after that conversation that i had with my buddy 
like I jumped in a van like two days later and I was on tour for the three, three months with this band and um, met the sound guy. He was a really cool dude, taught me a lot. And then he left. And then like, I don't know, maybe I want to say like three years later out of the blue, yeah. he called me up and he was like, Hey man, like I really enjoyed working with you on that tour. And uh, I've got this opportunity coming up um, to essentially go on tour with Kiss. Like, would you be interested? Um, so that's kind of how that all started. Who, who was that initial band that you, you were helping with? It was a band called Crash Parallel. They were, um, they were kind of like a, a band that sounded like the Fray almost. Okay. Yeah. Did you have any uh, interactions with Gene at all? What's that, sorry? With Gene? So, so, the, the, so I, should, I should maybe clarify too. Like, so with, with the KISS tour, um, I was actually working. So I actually ended up working for a band that was opening that tour that okay. was a band had signed. Um, so, so we were like working with Gene directly in a lot of ways, but it was for like a band that he was, uh, he was promoting. Okay. Uh, yeah, we did work with Gene quite a bit, um, and I had many interactions with him. We like went to his house one night, which was really cool. Um, yeah, like it was pretty pretty amazing. Like we had a lot of, we got to know the band pretty well and and have some good conversations, and it was always a fun fun experience. Because he's known to be pretty particular, and then about certain things. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what? The thing with Gene is that like he, he's a marketing guy, right? So he yeah. like he's how to market things and with uh so the band that i was working with they were called the envy and they were a band that he had signed and uh throughout the tour we were like the band ended up getting a lot of other deals along along that tour like we they got signed to like republic and the states and um universal mexico and a whole bunch of other stuff um but what was really interesting was to like be part of the conversations with like gene about how they were going to market the band and like things that they should do and it was really cool to kind of see his approach to things and sometimes he was right sometimes he was wrong you know uh and and i think that that was one of the fun fun elements of that tour was that the guys i was working with they they knew their they knew their band they knew their brand and like sometimes gene would make a suggestion that wasn't the right one and they would stand up for themselves you know <laughs> cool cool no that must have been really interesting yeah, it was pretty cool. It was it was a great way to um to just see you know, to work on a tour of that size and to to see the machine that goes into that. You know, I learned a lot about being a professional musician on that tour, you know, like what does it take to to run your band like a business and uh as opposed to just being a band that writes songs and plays on stage, right? It was Yeah, about... I I saw them on this past tour and I've never seen so many explosions and uh and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> they definitely love their pyro, that's for sure. <laughs> and I know, I'm, I mean, they've had the pause now, but they've had some really big uh, multi-tier VIP packages. Some of the bigger bands have that. Yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know where that idea originated, but I, I've definitely known Kisses on that for a long time. They, they may have been the first for all I know. Um, but, uh, hey, it's, a, it's an amazing way to make money, that's for sure. If, you, if you've got the fan support and you've got the super fans there, um, it's definitely a cool way to do it. Yeah, with the lockdowns and whatnot, when we kind of at some point get back to touring and that what whatnot, how do you think that sort of thing will change? Like, I think most of the meet and greets will have to be done, maybe maybe forever. I have no idea. I I really, I really have no idea how that's going to work out. I think that. I think you're going to see a lot of bands 
embracing the online space more as they should. Right. Um, I think in a lot of ways, the industry has been very traditional and it's always the bands that do something outside of the box that ends up uh, working out for them and like making them stand out. So I think you're going to see a lot of bands doing like maybe more online, like meet and greet kind of things or like collaborations with fans or um, I don't know. Like I think that there's a lot of, possibility with like the online space it's not gonna it won't replace meeting people in person because obviously people want to meet people in people right yeah in person um but yeah i don't know it's right now it's so early to say for how that's going to turn out because you know we can't even have concerts right now you know you can't even have a band playing at a restaurant because the government's afraid that people are going to stick around too long and spread coronavirus so yeah uh, think of like 25,000 people packing in an arena or something like that it's it's a wild thought I I, I don't know how that's going to turn out have you seen any of those kind of quarantine performances that over the last couple months oh yeah there's been lots of those do you have any favorites that kind of you thought were kind of unique I have a buddy one of my buddies has been doing like a a series he's up to like 100 videos now Um, his name's Mikey Hodden and uh, he did this series called like Mikey and his uke. So like he plays like covers. Um, but he is like, he was doing like a video a day and, and grew that. And he ended up getting like, he ended up partnering up with, or I don't know, I don't know how it happened, but he um, got a lot of like big musicians to end up joining him on the, on these videos. So that was pretty cool. He did some stuff with like members of the offspring and Pennywise and, you know, like a whole bunch of like Goldfinger and a whole bunch of other dudes. So it was, it was pretty cool to see that he, he made that happen. Um, so I've been enjoying those and like the fact that it's a buddy of mine is always fun. Um, I also saw, uh, who was it? It was, uh, Dropkick Murphys. Okay. They, they did like a, a live concert that I, I thought was still done. It was like them on stage with like the full stage. It was like a full concert. They had the lights, they had, the lasers they had everything like the band was rocking out on a stage in like an empty venue and it was so well done like it, that to me to me that felt like a concert okay um yeah. just to go way back for a second do you remember some of the first concerts you attended my very first concert i was 10 years old and i saw green day at maple oh, yeah? Leaf garden yeah at maple leaf garden so it was that was a pretty memorable moment for sure in my life my my you started off big then oh yeah like well my to me i think a lot of my musical influences always came from my uncles and um both like on my mom's side and my dad's side um my dad's side one of my uncles was a bass player and he played in a band and like i remember going to see them play at the cne and i thought that was really cool um and then on my mom's side, my uncles there, they were just like music lovers. Like they would always show me like the, the latest and greatest record that they bought because they were just so excited about it. And they wanted me to like the same music as them. And I totally ended up falling into that because like they taught me about the Ramones and like uh, a lot of like, I don't know, like Queen and like stuff like that. And like, I, that's where I really learned to love a lot of music and, and saw people who were excited about music. Right. So yeah. Um, it was like my one of my uncles he was like hey like you like green day like let's i want to take you to their to their concert and like your first concert experience i want to do that for you 
And uh, yeah, it was like massive because I, I had no idea what to expect, right? Like I thought like, you know, I'd seen my uncles on stages in like small places, but like not ever like imagining a big arena full of people. So <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, how about uh, local, local shows? Do you remember some of the first of those you went to? First local shows, for me it was a lot about, um, like I joined my first band when I was in grade nine. Okay. And so I grew up in, in Oakville um, and I didn't really know that there was a lot of local shows. Like I didn't even know that those really existed. Like I, I just joined a band cause like my, my drum teacher connected me with a bunch of other guys and uh, my bass player in that band, he like got us our first show and it was just at a rec center in Oakville in like a, like a community room. And there was like so many people that were there. It like blew my mind that like local bands, like high school bands were putting on these shows in like small rec center uh, rooms and like people were showing up and, and like, so that's, that's kind of where I first got exposed to it. Um, just seeing a lot of bands and I can't really remember, like I know some of the bands that started there, uh, they were like offshoot bands of what eventually would become like Silverstein right. or like Side Out or, or bands like that. Um, so it was pretty cool to like, just see that, like, there's this kind of underground scene where like high school kids just want to hang out in an arena and listen to music. And like, you know, it's like not a professional rock show. It's just, you know, really cheaply done, but just people are just loving music. And, and to me, like, I, I love that. I, I don't know if it exists anymore. I hope that it does right. like that uh, rec center vibe, but, uh, if it, if it does, I'd love to go back and like just listen to it, see what it's like, see what it's like now. What was the name of that band? Your first one? My very first band was a band called Faster Than Eddie. Okay. <laughs> and was the style kind of punk or uh, indie? Yeah, like kind of like a yeah, we were kind of a punk rock band, I guess. <laughs> How about Cheap Suits? How did that get started? So Cheap Suits, uh, yeah, man, you know my history. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Cheap Suits were a band before I was in the band. Um, So I had met them through playing a show with them. And I just remember like my band Faster Than Eddie, we did a show with Cheap Suits at like Mel Lastman Square or something like that. And and we ended up playing, we were the only two bands and like we just ended up hanging out and having like a really great time and and, uh, connected really well. And at the time, the singer of Cheap Suits was also the drummer. Okay. so when my band Faster Than Eddie was breaking up, we were, we decided to have like one last show in Toronto and it was a strategic move on my part. I was like, we need the Cheap Suits to play because like they're just fun guys and like I love their music. And so they play the show and that night I was like, hey, you guys need to get your drummer to just move up front and sing and let me drum for you. Right. <laughs> you know, so it was kind of like, I need to move bands you guys are awesome. You have a drummer who's a great singer, like make him the front man. I'll play for you. And uh, it kind of just worked out. Like it was perfect timing. They were like, yeah, we've actually been thinking about doing that. So like, why don't you come audition? And, and that was it. Um, you know, I think we jammed like once or twice and, and then I was officially in the band. <laughs> Do you have any kind of uh, most memorable shows you guys played? Anything jumps out at you? Yeah, my favorite show that I did with Cheap Suits was um, was actually my very first show with Cheap Suits. 
And, and I remember it really well because it was, uh, it was our CD release for a record called Canadian Idols. Right. And it was also my birthday. So, and um, so that was like, and it was my first show. So it was like, kind of like this trifecta of things that happened all at once. And um, it was a really memorable show because it was like, we, we played it at the old cathedral in Toronto. I don't know. If yeah, you yeah, that. yeah, of course. Um, and it was like a full show. And, and one of my favorite memories of it was that like, I got the idea that night to do like the most ghetto balloon drop ever. So, <laughs> so we like ran to like the dollar store and bought all these like tablecloths. Right. And like bags and bags of balloons. And for like three hours before the show, we just blew up these balloons. And then what we did was we taped all the tablecloths together with a piece of rope between them. Right. In the middle of the show, we just gave the rope to someone in the crowd and we're like, run to the back. And then like all the balloons dropped. So it was like, it was just a lot of fun. Like we we're like, let's just be creative with this. Let's have fun. Right. So um, to me, that was like one of my most memorable shows. Cause it was, it was a really fun night. And uh, the start of something great with that band and like playing live with them. And then, uh, was it a couple of years later, the One Giant Leaf album came out? Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a record afterwards. Um, do the other guys, are they still playing in bands? So, um, yeah, a couple of guys do. Um, Chris, our singer, and John Mark, our guitar player. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, both, they both play in a couple of bands, uh, primarily based out of Peterborough. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Chris, Chris used to be an I'm Mother Earth for a little bit too, which was kind of cool. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and uh, like he got the gig playing keys for them. Um, but they've got they've got their own thing. Chris has his own solo shows in Peterborough, and then they've got a band together um, that kind of just plays a bunch of stuff. Um, how about your own musical influences? You mentioned the uh, Green Day show. Who else kind of influenced your playing? I would say that like the Green Day thing was obviously a big one because it was my first show um, and one of like the first like first bands that I really got into. Um, but I'm also like a really big Dave Grohl fan. Yeah. Uh, he to me is like my favorite musician of all time um, because I think the music that he's made and all the bands that he's in has has been awesome. Um, and I think that like I don't know this may sound cheesy, but I think he's like a really good role model in a way. Like I like his approach to to things. I like how he uh i i just like his attitude towards people yeah. industry and and like um just how he approaches like even like the marketing side and just keeping it fun and loose like i like that because so many bands are so serious all the time and it's like come on you got to be more fun than that right like <laughs> right right yeah you remember he had an album or a pro- project called probot you remember that one yeah, that was, that was a cool one. I think that was like he he collaborated with a lot of like heavier guys on that, and uh, it's a pretty fun record. I think he has something called Dave Girl Stories. Have you seen that? I think it's on Instagram. Yeah, he's got an Instagram story. I guess he's I don't know what the background is behind that. Like, I guess he's just writing stories, like stories that he shared throughout the years, and just kind of documenting them. Uh, it's pretty cool though. There's some pretty funny ones in there too. Did you ever hear the story that there was some kind of weird theory about Andrew WK that he was behind part of it? No. Yeah, oh, this was like years ago. Maybe I'll try and send you a link that he was kind of, they would use different people to play the character and he kind of wrote some of the uh, backstory. It's, it's an odd like theory. The backstory is for what? For like the Andrew WK character. 
Oh, like so that that Andrew WK is like his own character, like is a character of. Yeah, and at some point in the last two years, they switched out a different person. I don't. I mean, this is probably bogus, but somehow they said Dave Grohl was involved. No, I've never heard that at all. I'll have to find it for you because it was it was kind of bizarre. I'll have to yeah, I'll have to look into that. That's interesting. Um, how about in terms of like uh, concert films or documentaries? Are you into any of those? Um, yeah, I've watched like. I watch a few of them. Uh, like documentaries, I love. That's for sure. Um, I, I I love like documentaries, especially about musicians. Um, you know, it's like kind of like the way of living vicariously through somebody, right? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, you know, musical documentaries. I think my favorite one is uh, is one called Soul of America. Okay. I don't know if that one. I don't think so. Soul of America, it's about this guy named Charles Bradley, who he's like, uh, he's a soul singer. He unfortunately died uh, a few years ago, but it's this really interesting story about um, he was like 61 when he released his first record. And okay. like all, all his life, he was like poor and like had this really difficult uh, like upbringing and, and life, like, you know, there was issues with his family and uh all sorts of stuff and it's just like this really almost tragic story um but then like he gets discovered when he's in like in his 60s and ends up like blowing up briefly and then unfortunately he died he ended up getting cancer and dying but um it's a really interesting documentary i'd highly recommend you watch it okay. if, if you're at all um how about have you seen the one about anvil yeah i love that one too that's awesome yeah it's funny because i didn't realize they actually never really broke up over all those years yeah, they were one of those bands that always just kind of like they were a band and they would get together every now and then and you know do do what they did, right? <laughs> That's a crazy story. I always I love that documentary and a part of me like my heart breaks every time I watch it because it's yeah. like like they're dudes from Toronto and uh, like I feel like I resonate with it so much. <laughs> How about any artists, any new artists now that you're listening to? Um. These days, like, I feel, I haven't really been discovering a lot of new music that I'm super stoked about, um, but I'm also not actively looking for a lot of new music either. Uh, but a couple of bands that I've discovered in, like, more recent years that I really like, uh, there's a band called Paris. Okay. R-I-S. And um, they're a really cool band. Like, they're kind of like a poppy band that has, like, a bit of a edgier, darker kind of distorted sound that I like um they're really cool um i also really have been getting into like well i've been into them for a while now but the 1975 right um, I, i'm a sucker for pop music so i love i love a good poppy kind of band that has a bit of a rock influence yeah the latest 1975 album it was kind of all over the place which one the latest one they put out yeah but you know what i feel that way about every record they put out i feel like Except for the first, even the first record was still pretty all over the place. But um, yeah, I feel like all of their records, it takes me a couple listens to get used to. And I feel like there's a bunch of like filler tracks and then there's like some like absolute hits on them. Um, but when you listen to the albums from start to finish, they all make sense. Right. If that, that makes sense. Like they, they're meant to be an album. They're meant to tell, tell you this like story and take you on a journey as opposed to just being like singles, 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 you know? 
Yeah, with the uh, kind of culture of on-demand and playlists, do you think people are losing that idea of like a cohesive kind of product? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think th I don't think that there's a need for albums anymore. To be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. And as an engineer, I feel like I'm not supposed to say that because you know, you know, I I make money like helping bands re make recordings, and the more recordings they make, the more money I make. You know what I mean? But like, I don't. I don't agree with that. I, I, I think that um, these days, especially to go back to the point of how online, how, how the online landscape can help bands, I think that these days it's, people have a short attention span. And for bands, I feel like it's a, it's a better use of their time to be recording a single, releasing a single, and then like repeating that cycle every month, as opposed to go into the studio, spend a ton of money, record like 10 songs, and then release them all the same day. Yeah. And then hope from now people are listening to that record still. It, it doesn't make sense. So like, I always tell bands like, come into the studio, if you want to record 10 songs, sure, but release them one song at a time. And that's gonna like lengthen the promotional period of your record because now every month you have something new to promote. People are like constantly rediscovering the band and there's lots of things you can do to support each song, whether it's like, you know, releasing the actual recording and then doing an acoustic version of it or doing like video playthroughs or like, you know, lyric videos, that kind of stuff. There's like all sorts of ways that you can extend the runway of, of your record when, when you drip stuff out like that. Um, I find with most local bands, they just kind of traditionally they've released a record on one day and hope that everyone discovers it. But, the, only the bands that know how to market themselves actually make anything of it. Well, it's really interesting too, because it almost seems like these collaboration tracks are like the big new thing too. Oh, for sure. And that's smart because you have to think that um, people have their own, like every artist has their own audience, right? And so when you can do something that allows you to collaborate with an artist, not only is it cool because it's like a cool collaboration, but it actually allows bands to grow and to like share their fans with each other. And to me, that's kind of like the old school, like the old, the old rec center show model that I grew up loving was very much that way. It was like, you put on shows with bands that you loved and you were friends with. And like, you would see a lot of the same bands all the time because you know, they just, they supported each other. They wanted to give each other to the shows. Right. That's kind of how the whole collaboration model is happening these days. It's like, let's find an artist that I love and let's like, let's work together. And then we can share our fans and we can grow our audiences together. Maybe we do a tour together. Um, I think it's a really cool way for bands to, to collaborate and help just expand their audiences. I think the other thing too, that just kind of came to mind is that it almost seems like genre doesn't even matter anymore, right? Because you can have a pop song, a rap song, you can throw in some alternative and people just want to do anything, right? For sure. Um, yeah, I think that there's some people that are always going to be biased to a certain genre, but to me, like, I've always approached it um, almost from, like, a binary perspective of, like, you know how binary is, like, one or zero? Yeah. It's, like, I'm either a yes or a no. I either like music or I don't. Like, you know, like, it doesn't matter what genre it is. I'm going to like it or not. Because for me to say, like, I like punk rock music, that's a lie because there's a lot of punk rock I don't like, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um when I listen to stuff, I, there's something I either like about it or something I don't like. And that's, yeah, I think when it comes to genres these days, there's a lot of intermingling. That's cool to like see different, different genres and 
uh, coming together. I think that that's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I, 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 hey, music's, music's fun. I think music has the ability to influence a lot of people and change the world in a lot of positive ways. And so the, the more people can discover more music and the more people can collaborate and share the message, like even better. So do you think that could be why maybe rap has been the prevailing genre just because you can put together a track relatively quickly, just get the beats and the voice and go with it? Um, I don't know that I agree with that statement. Yeah, because okay. I, I think that rap music is just as much work to put together a song as it right. is like a band playing together and figuring out the notes and everything. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are just ripping off songs off of YouTube and singing on top of it or rapping on top of it. Um, so maybe in that sense, it's easier, but you know, I, I don't think that those are the people that are, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like you should still be creative and original, right? Yeah. Uh, so sorry, what was your question there? It was No, I was just wondering your thoughts on why it seems that even the last four or five years, even the big festivals, they've all been like rap headliners and, um, the youth are really into that style, I think, more than ever before. Yeah, music has always been really cyclical. Cyclical. Um, you're always going to find different genres that are in the spotlight. You know, pop pop music will always be there, but what is popular will always change. Um, you know, like rock music is starting to die off these days a little bit more, but give it some time. It's going to come back. It's going to be right at the forefront, um, and rap music will probably step back a little bit and. You know, like maybe you'll hear, I don't know, maybe you'll hear ska music become popular again, right? Like it, it's always kind of riding different waves. And like every 10 years or so, I would say that like 10 to 15 years, like the cycle changes and it just kind of re repeats itself. Yeah. Do you see more often artists are trying to do like the whole kind of become their own industry, kind of like Drake has? Like he'll have the, the clothes and the, the style and the music. And like you said, it comes out almost every month as something new? I think that artists are realizing that they have to be more creative and that they have to run their band or their, their music uh, project as a business. Um, because the, the thing with music is that, yeah, sure, you can write a hit song and you can have it in your basement. But until you learn to market yourself to get it into the right hands and to get it onto radio, um, nobody's gonna know about it, right? And yeah. even if it's on radio, what are you doing to promote it? Because just having it on the radio isn't going to necessarily help you grow your business, like, you know, or help you grow your brand. Like you need to do the tours. You need to, you need to promote yourself. Like to think that like Lady Gaga doesn't spend any money on advertising is completely wrong. Like she's spending, yeah. you know, or like Taylor Swift or something like that. Like there's, there's a marketing machine behind them. So, um, that costs money to do, which means that you need to make money and, like, I, I hate to say it that way because it like makes it sound like music such like this capitalist kind of thing. But, it, you know, it's it's it is hard to be a musician and to actually do that touring life if you're not making an, a living. Yeah, some of the collaborations and like you said, the online space, some of the things the last few years, like even I've seen DJs playing like the game Minecraft and stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah, I remember I remember years ago when I was in college. Uh, one of my professors telling me about this game Second Life. Yeah. And and, uh, and I remember him telling me, like, yeah, like, one of these days, like, there's going to be bands playing concerts on Second Life. And 
And I remember thinking to myself at the time, like, that's really creative and really different. And I don't know if that will happen, but it could be really cool. And, um, and I was looking into doing it because I wanted to try it out for myself to see if it was possible. I never did end up doing it. But it's crazy because now you do see that, like, a lot of people are putting on these, like, virtual concerts with these, like, avatars. And it's pretty wild. Like, the, the industry has changed a lot. <laughs> Yeah, even like uh, I saw, I think it was Travis Scott did something in um, in Fortnite where he had like a like a, a hundred foot avatar and people were there and like a million people watched it. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, sounds like something that I believe. Like it's it's very possible. Yeah, it would be it will be different going forward because I know even like the Korean group BTS made something like ten million on their online concert. Yeah, I, I believe it. It's the online thing again. It's 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 very interesting, right? Because it makes the world a lot smaller. Um, it means that you don't have to you don't have to have travel expenses. You don't need to like set up a lot of equipment and hire a massive crew. Like you can do this all virtually and for a fraction of the cost, and not have to travel and have that flexibility of being at home, but still like reaching fans across the world. Like there's a lot of advantage advantages to it. Um, so it's a matter now of like how how are musicians going to just move forward are they going to try to take advantage of that stuff and like use it to to maintain their relevancy or are they holding off and hoping that tours are going to come back and that's the old life that they're going to go back to right I, I don't know yeah it'll be interesting to see how it plays out definitely mm-hmm um, I don't have too much time, and I know you have a lot of stuff going on today. Is there anything you want to plug or put out there before I finish up? Um, sure, yeah. I mean, like, we, I mean, we've talked a lot about my bands and stuff like that, which is cool. Um, yeah, these days, like, I'm doing a lot more production work and um, also helping musicians as well. So um, a big part of that is I run a website called MasterYourMix.com. Right. And on that website, I basically help uh, musicians and home studio engineers with creating music that they're that represents their, their songs in the best light possible so that they can use it to help grow their careers and, and uh, make music that they're proud of and, and release it to the world. So um, through that website, that's kind of where I've been focusing a lot of my energy lately is just helping bands because especially these days, the, the home studio market is blowing up because people, especially with COVID, like they're, they're all home. Right. Um, a lot of people are just making music from home and there's a lot of people who are making amazing songs but maybe they're embarrassed by the quality of their work or they're not really happy with it and as a result they kind of shelve those songs and and to me that's a shame like I, I want people to release more music I think that you know like I said earlier I think music is like a very powerful thing that can make a lot of positive change in the world and and so yeah. I think um so so me as an engineer like I've been wanting to help collaborate with a lot of uh, musicians and engineers through that platform because yeah they, it just allows people to make more music and get it out there and and ultimately make music that sounds much better and that they're proud of right so um, that's definitely one of the things that I've been focusing a lot of my energy on that was my interview with music producer Mike Indovina thanks so much for him for stopping by this has been Cambrio from CambrioMusic.com. Thanks so much.